Money, it comes with a lot of questions. How do I save? Where should I invest? Can I build wealth to pass on? It's hard to know where to get the answers. That's why the people at Fidelity do what they do. They make it easier for you to get information to make better money decisions. They've got articles and videos, tips and apps, and insights and perspectives that can make planning, saving, and investing less stressful. And when you want to talk it through, there's a real person on the other end with real answers. Helping people is what they do. And as a part of their $250 million Invest in My Education initiative, Fidelity is supporting eligible students from underserved communities in the Boston, Dallas, Fort Worth, and Raleigh, Durham areas by combining scholarships with ongoing assistance, mentorship, and better paths to post-graduation employment. Want to learn more? Visit fidelity.com slash blackwealth. The STD rates are out the roof. Every single year, we're beating ourselves the year before. It's it's the highest it's ever been right now, which is bad for our community, good for business. In America or in, 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 America. in the world, STD rates, we're at like 336 million STD. The inspiration from others drives us forward. Their resilience pushes us to excel, and their path navigates the way towards freedom. Ford is proud to celebrate black history, not just this month, but year-round. They're committed to being the fuel for change, supporting Ford Fund programs centered around economic, educational, and empowerment opportunities for our communities to continue creating the future. Learn more at FordFund.org. Build Ford Proud. STD cases, new STD cases last year. 336 million in the world. Right. World. What's the number one STD? I got it. I know what it is. When I was teaching, it was chlamydia. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Gonorrhea is gonorrhea going crazy now right now. Yeah. Yeah. One out of every four STDs yes. is gonorrhea or chlamydia. I was going to make a joke just now when you said I got it. But. <laughs> my graduates from my school being Forbes. Bag drop. Bag drop. <laughs> a mic drop. Bag drop. Bag drop. All right, guys, welcome back. So this is going to be a dope episode because it's uh, a little bit different from um, a lot of the businesses that we have covered in the past. Mm -hmm. um, the healthcare industry is something that is actually the biggest expenditure in the uh, budget. We talked about that a variety of different times. When you look at the United States budget, spend more money on healthcare than anything else from Medicaid to Medicare to all of that stuff and um, more on healthcare than they do on defense. Yep. Um, so, you know, tons of billionaires, tons of the top companies in the world are health-related companies, health-based companies. Um, so anytime that we get to cover the industry, um, it's important, and especially when we can get people from our community that's actually in the industry, entrepreneurs. Which is that's, rare. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yes. For sure. So Clifford Knights and Steve Vixamar. Yes, sir. Correct. Um, they started a company, Healthy MD. Yep. So Healthy MD is a end-to-end uh, -end solution for sexual health testing and treatment. Um, so let me just kind of paint the picture. This is like a a, a mobile uh, van bus per se. Nah. So so there's two, right? So you have. HealthyMD, which is our online platform that provides test kits in the comfort of your own home. And you test yourself, you send it back, you get on the telehealth visit with a physician, a physician writes your script, right? Whether you have STD, HIV, or whatever, mm -hmm. right? 
But IMG, which is Independent Medical Group, that's our brick-and-mortar business, right? So it's our mobile clinics. We got 12 mobile clinics in the state of Florida. 15 now. We got three just came in yesterday. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Breaking news alert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we got we got eight brick-and-mortar clinics throughout the whole state of Florida. So we cover the whole state of Florida with our brick-and-mortar and our mobile clinics. And it's all based on... Uh, sexual STDs, STDs, Perfect. HIV, hepatitis C, and mental health. Okay, um, okay. So, first of all, and it's very uh, successful. Thirty-six million dollars in revenue last year um, for the company. So, um, first and foremost, thank you guys for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah thank you guys for having us, man. We're big fans. We appreciate it. Man. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's been a, a journey to get here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, we, we've had talks before. It's interesting because, you know, we met at InvestFest for the first time um, mm -hmm. because you were part of the, the, the VIP experience. Yeah, right? absolutely. Can I tell you a story about that real quick? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Because I got a story too. <laughs> okay. So, InvestFest comes up. My brother-in-law hits me. He owned a coffee company. Hold on, hold on. Is his microphone good? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. We good? Hello. Yeah. Um, so InvestFest comes up. My brother-in-law owns a coffee company in Jamaica. He calls me. He's like, yo, they got this thing called InvestFest, EYL. Um, me, my son, his homies. We sat at the table during COVID and we listened to you all every day. We broke down stocks. We broke down tips. We broke down. These boys got stock portfolios now. <laughs> my stock portfolio is over a million. <clears throat> Steve. Man, that's part of my story. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Go, I'm sorry. Go. Forgive me. <laughs> I was just saying that we copped the tickets. It's 20000 right? So my finance team is like, yo, what the hell is this investment <laughs> shit on our, <laughs> on our books for twenty grand, right? And I was like, nah, this is this festival we gotta go to. We yeah, have we gotta to be, be there. there. I don't care. There. So I heard Rashad say one time he buy first class tickets so he could be in the room with the right people. Mm -hmm. Right? I was like, all right. We gotta be in the cool. room then. So spend the 20, we're gonna be in VIP. And throughout the time, we wasn't really sweating it, right? I wasn't sweating trying to trying to get backstage. We wasn't sweating any of that. We just listening to the panels, Tyler Perry, man. Steve Harvey. It was a dope, and it was fifteen thousand people in a room for financial literacy. Never seen anything like that. I know y'all boys. The year before, y'all was at like three thousand, four thousand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then y'all boys is at like fifteen thousand. So I walk in the room and I see all these chairs and all these black people. Financial literacy, I said, yo, this is the dopest shit ever. And then we get to the dinner. And I meet you at the dinner. I meet y'all boys at the dinner. This is after everything happened all weekend. I said, yo, my dude, y'all boys is killing it. Yo, I just got to tell you, I'm loving what you all are doing. And we put ourselves in that room that day so we could be here. Mm. So we set up the whole situation yeah. already eight months ago. So we could be at this moment when we were ready. So like, I always tell the story. I, I never say your name in the story, but I always talk <laughs> about people executing on information. Right. Because we had a long conversation at the dinner mm -hmm. and you were like, yo, I'm going to be honest with you. Everything y'all doing here is incredible, but the impact that y'all having outside of here is even more so. Bro, my investment count is seven figures. And I was like, I told you, I'm like, yo, damn. He was like, for real, bro. And I was like, fact. I keep telling the story about how this dude had 125,000. Yes. He was the New most. York dude. Yes. yes. I said, yo, now I got to change the story. Yeah. Now you said seven I figures. And I was that. like, yo, 
that's the power of information. That's and then we ran into each other again. Yes. I'm like, yo, bro, y'all got to come tell your story. And you're like, I'm not sure we ready. <laughs> what was the revenue again? <laughs> nah, I think y'all ready. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it's yeah. dope, man, because not only you guys, but shout out to AJ, yeah. right, from, uh, from, from Tulsa who was also part of that VIP experience. Yes. And we shot his episode just because the energy was so good, the yeah, story was absolutely. so good. So again, like you never know the room you're going to get into absolutely. and what it's going to lead to. So yeah, You guys I, are doing again, a great thing. I'm happy y'all here for this, man. It's going to be dope. You. We appreciate y'all having appreciate us. It. Appreciate it, man. And that was the ultra, ultra VIP. Yeah. Word. Um, word. Let's be clear. <laughs> let's be clear. <laughs> and it was worth every penny. Yeah. Trust yeah. me. So, so let's get into this. All right, so... When do you decide that this is a good idea? Because this is a, a very niche-based business, right? As far as with uh, STDs um, testing. So when do you decide this is a good business? And what's the first step that you that you do to start the business? So first of all, I got to preference it by saying this was not our dream, <laughs> right? Our dream was to be businessmen, entrepreneurs. We were never supposed to be in the healthcare space. That wasn't something that we talked about. We talked about... Steve being from Brooklyn, I'm from Boston. We're from underserved communities. I had a 96 Jetta and we couldn't pay the car payment. Mm. This is back in high school. Yeah. This is in high school. So Steve is like, yo, son, in Brooklyn, we throw Dollarama so we could pay our rent. So let's throw a Dollarama so we could pay the car payment. I was like, all right, cool, let's do that. We throw the party is successful. We throw another one successful. Now we're party promoters. That's what we do. <laughs> in New York? Right? No, no, this is in, in Florida, Florida. In Fort Lauderdale. So y'all y'all moved to Florida. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. So you grew up in Florida? Yeah. yeah. So Steve moved down in high school. I moved down in middle school. Okay. To, to so we met in high school in Florida, and that's kind of how this whole healthcare journey started. Um, what Clifford is alluding to is when we were in high school, him trying to make his car payment, and we, us coming up with this bright idea, you know, to throw parties. And that is what kind of got us to this evolution because the guy who owned the nightclub actually owned a small independent pharmacy, mm. right? And he was a businessman. He wasn't a pharmacist. His partner was a pharmacist. So coming from New York, I mean, I'm, I'm used to these small independent pharmacies. Typically, they own or operated. The guy who owns it is a pharmacist. He's been working there for 30 years. I mean, you don't think that, you know, he's making no real money. I mean, being of Caribbean descent, too, a lot of times you get taught, hey, you got to go to school to be a doctor. You got to go to school to be a lawyer. Nobody really talks about going right. to be a pharmacist. You know what I mean? Right, yep. So you really think about that. You think about, you know, the small independent pharmacies I grew up around. Like I said, they're owner-operated, you know, they're niche. They're always in the community. So when we saw this guy in his business, he was like, hey, I own a club. I also own a pharmacy. My partner's a pharmacist. I'm doing well. You guys seem like young entrepreneurs. Come work for me at this specialty pharmacy that we're servicing HIV and STD patients on the pharmacy side. So we're like, I right, bet. We'll come check it out. Whatever. Let's, I mean, let's do it. So started working with him at the pharmacy. I started off really, at this time I'm like 16, 17 years old. Cliff might have been 18, 19, because you're a little older. Oh, hey, you see the gray hairs. <laughs> um, so um, I started working with him and um, I started just doing the deliveries, like delivering the medication and stuff to the patients. I became like a pharmacy technician. Cliff came on and started doing like in-services. We'll do like, we'll go to like doctors and talk to the doctors about the services we provide to the underserved community. This is back in 98. You know hold what on, I mean? hold on, hold on. So... This dude, when he seen us, he said, y'all are young entrepreneurs. But past that, he was like, come work with me at the pharmacy. We said, cool. Then he said, I'm going to get y'all boys tailor-made suits. Now, this is 98. We were baggy, baggy. We were tees down to our knees, right. right? So everybody, that's how they knew us, right? Yeah. As black pop culture, we were like... Yo, son, they got baggy pants on. They got long jeans on. They got, you know what I mean? Long T-shirts. 
And he said, he going to get us tailor-made suits. We said, cool. He said, yo, I'm going to get y'all BMWs. We said, cool. He said, I'm going to get y'all briefcases. We said, cool. Now, every office, doctor's office we walked into, every hospital we walked into, everybody was like, what y'all need? Because they never seen that before. Mm. We was, I was 18 years old, 19 years old. Steve was like 17, 16. And they looking at us like, how do you all have the vernacular to speak about taking care of our community in that manner? And you walk in here with a briefcase, with a suit on, oh, what you need? And most of the gatekeepers, which are the women that sit at the receptionist, most of them are women. So they're looking at us like, oh, y'all young boys, y'all out here doing something for real with your lives? Oh, nah, come on, let's go. What? How many patients you need? <laughs> they just start sending us all the patients. Mm -hmm. And that's how crazy it got. So that right? was our first introduction into healthcare and healthcare business and realizing um, that you could actually be very profitable. Back then, he was still servicing the underserved HIV and STD patients. His, his, most of the business was Medicaid and Medicare. And I remember looking at the numbers because I'm an operations guy. Um, and at that point, he was doing 100, 150K a week. I was like, how the heck are you doing this much money? Like, I never thought, you know, your local pharmacist can make that much money. And we realized, oh, you actually do good by doing good. And that was our first introduction into healthcare. And what year was that? This is 98, 99. Yeah. So what year do you start the company? So I'll give you the, the backstory. So <laughs> we started working for this guy in the pharmacy. So we did that for a couple of years. And um, they sold to Eckerd's for like $3 million. So this guy, one pharmacy, one location, sold to Eckerd's for $3 million. Y'all boys know what Eckerd's? So Eckerd's is a, is a pharmacy chain that is now owned by CVS. CVS actually bought Eckerd's out. Okay. Um, so when they sold to Eckerd's, because we were so young, um, they didn't make a sign of non-compete, right? They're like, yo, these guys are young. They don't know nothing. But they didn't realize that we we're the ones doing the deliveries. We we're the ones who kind of knew all the patients. We were all the doctors. So they didn't make a sign of non-compete. That pharmacy at the time was called We Care Pharmacy. So when they sold, because we didn't sign a non-compete, the gentleman who brought us on, he did. He was like, listen, I want to go open up another pharmacy. I mean, um, and we were like, listen, our patients are calling us. They sold to Eckerd's. Eckerd's is not trying to provide the same services to the underserved because they're a big chain. They're like, listen, we're not trying to you know, provide all these additional ancillary services. You guys need to figure that out. So the need was there. So we're like, listen, we got to open up our own pharmacy. So he's like, listen, you guys didn't sign on like a P. I'm going to open up a pharmacy with you guys, give you guys equity, and you guys are going to do all the work, and we're going to you know, start this pharmacy. That's how we actually got our first, you know, ownership into a specialty pharmacy, getting into the HIV space, and then we open up those pharmacies. What, what was the equity split? So we got, that was the first lesson in business too, right? <laughs> so, what yo, the splits is. What the Word. Splits is at the cap table. So yeah. at that point, um, Cliff and I had like 10% a piece, so we owned 20%, he owned 80 And at the time, I think I might have been, you know, 18 at the time, so I'm thinking, okay, it was really good. And I learned that lesson too. He's like, yo, so how much money do you want to make? I was like, I don't, I don't know. I remember being in my, I just graduated high school. I remember sitting in my macroeconomics class and my professor, I think at the time was making like 60 or 65K. And I was like, okay, well, my professor's making 65. I want 70, right? So I told a guy I wanted 70 grand. He's like, bet, got you. Gave me 70,000 right <laughs> now. I realized quick. way too quick. <laughs> way too quick. Um, and that's when I was like, oh, I don't need to go to college. I'm, make, I'm making more money than my professors. I'm like, I'm dropping out of school. But I realized then it's like, okay, you got to understand your business because he gave us 70,000 and 10%. Now I realized that he was making 100, 150K a week, right? So what, what is that for the guys who's actually doing all the, all the work and doing all the hard work? But at the time it was great for us. We got that, you know, that Tupac Suge Knight deal and we were just happy. Give me that BMW, give us the briefcase, give us, you know, 70K and give us a little small equity. Yeah, he, he, we he, were content. Um, he killed us with the shiny things, you know? Young boys from the hood 
gave BMW gave us the shiny things and we just jumped at it. Then he asked us how much you want to make. And instead of us saying, I want to make a mill, yeah. we, he was like, you know, give us 70,000, 62,000. <laughs> yeah. Because at that time in 2000, 50 grand, my sisters was getting out of college and 50 grand was like, yo, if you get 50 grand a year, you killing it. So I was like, 60,000. <laughs> he was like, bet, 60, you want bet, got you. He was like, yo, that seemed kind of easy. <laughs> he said that mad easy. Um, but that was our first introduction to ownership a, and business. business. Real business. So, all right. So then from there, what's, what happens after that? So, so we built this network of pharmacies with this guy, Express Pharmacy, and we got it to about six pharmacies throughout Florida, Palm Beach, Broward, and Dade. Did very well with him for a few years. Um, and then again, another exit comes, right? And then we realize, again, um, you have to have, one of the first things in business, you have to have the lawyers and you have to have your accountants, right? So for us, again, we just trusting and understanding all the things that this guy has done. And we was like, okay, um, we're about to exit soon, build up this great business. I think we build it up to about 15 million, 15 million annually. And we're like, yo, we about to, do, we about to eat. This is about to, no. That's when I find out what um, cash calls and things, <laughs> things of that stuff where people want to dilute you. It's like, uh, yeah, so we're about to do a cash call. So we built that to a very successful business and um, we exited. When he sold that, um, we, you know, we made, you know, some decent amount of money. Um, not as much as we do now, but we, we did pretty well with that, with that. How old are y'all at this time? At this point, I'm like 21. At this point, by the time we exit, I'm 21. So Cliff might be 20, 22, 23 at this yeah. point. And he's one years old. So you just had a kid. Yeah. But you, at that time, even though you you had the cash call and you you, made, you still feeling like you're Yo, making still, some real yeah, money. I'm making real money. We're making yeah. more money than most of our relatives. Yeah. I'm walking around with a Nextel phone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Two-way I'm, pager. Two -way, yeah. So we think, we think, we think we're think we we're doing very well and very... I mean, at that time, yes, you were doing well. But um, we had a crash course in business at that point in life is like, okay, we know we need to lawyer up and get our accounts and yeah. get our paperwork straight and know that um, partnerships are not bad as long as the contracts and everything is, is sound. Yeah. And that was the the hard lesson that we learned at that point. I want to go inside the, the, the business a little bit because you said you guys are doing everything inside the business. Right. So somebody who's not familiar with pharmaceuticals, what are the things that you're actually doing? Because you mentioned maybe getting the customers, but what are the right. other things that y'all are doing, like the grind, like the right. real hustle work? So Mr. today... Mr. Operations over here. He'll yeah. <laughs> so today, um, we run clinics, right? So prior to our clinic space, the reason why we had to transition to clinics, we got into all of this pharmacy stuff. So pharmacy is a little bit different than actually clinics. Pharmacy... Um, is different because if you want to open up an independent pharmacy, depending on the um, states you win, um, obviously you have to have a licensed pharmacist and stuff like that. So for us, um, it was smart the way we did it because what we did is we went and partnered up with like another local pharmacy. We said, hey, listen, we have all of these patients. We have all of these customers. What we're going to do is we're going to transfer you all of these patients. You're going to take care of all of these patients for us, all of these customers. And we will go to doctor's offices, talk to them about the services we provide. Back then, it was more concierge, which is still kind of the nature of our business today. We would deliver the medications. We would help them if they had insurance issues. We'll help them get insurance. If they had prior authorizations, sometimes the insurance won't pay for your medication and you have to send in extra paperwork. A lot of that stuff is a hassle. So for the physicians... A lot of times they're so busy, they can't help that patient with that. So for us, we're like, listen, as a pharmacy, we'll help handle all of the uh, back-end paperwork that happens to get that patient serviced. So that was those are some of the concierge services that we provided, what made us different on the pharmacy space. So we had to have a pharmacist. 
Um, we found a local pharmacy. We would send him all the business so that the day that we opened my pharmacy, we had 200, 300 customers day one. Mm. So having those partnerships and understanding, you know, kind of what you need to leverage was one of the things that kind of helped us a lot. But having that pharmacist is what helped too. But also, sorry, um, I want to speak about licensing for the right. pharmacy, right? Because that's probably the barrier to entry, right? So licensing is pharmacy license. DEA license. The DEA license. You got to get an NCPDP license um, so you could bill the insurances. You have to get all the insurance contracts um, with Blue Cross Blue Shield, Humana, yeah. United. Yeah, and back then and, it was straight manual too. At least now today, you could just sign up with one provider and they could get you all the contracts. Back then, I used to have to fill out a thousand different applications because you got to fill out an application with every provider in order to be able to bill that provider because so, you never know what insurance people will have. Yeah, so if you think about it, Blue Cross Blue Shield has Blue Cross Blue Shield, like every state. Blue Cross Blue Shield, Georgia. So you have to fill out every single one of those manually each time you open up a pharmacy mm. back then. Right. They've made the process a lot easier, but it's still, it's a barrier to entry regardless. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So why why um, the niche of uh, STDs? So because we came from the pharmacy space, we realized there was a lot of, a lot of the challenges that the clinics faced. So fast forward, you know, we, we had all of this great success in pharmacy and um, 2014 is when we kind of exited and we had some capital and we decided, you know what, we realize um, providing these services to the underserved community, these clinics, you know, were limited in scope on what they can do. So we like, listen, you know, we need to get into the clinic space and provide those services because we know that if we stick to the specialty, we actually, and Cliff, like I say, we like to be Switzerland, right? Most clinics are primary care. So we figure if we come in in a specialty space, realizing the needs that, um, that the underserved community had on the pharmacy end, we can provide those services to them on the clinic level, but then we can also be partners for other clinics. So instead of coming in and being competitors, if we're just strictly specialty, I can go into a primary care, I can go into a gastro and say, hey, let me just take care of these specialty HIV and hep C patients so they don't see us as competitors. So one is primarily because of the focus of what we want to do in that modality, but also because we don't want to seem as competitors too with other people who are providing the services in the community. Yeah, also... Um, if you remember, we started in HIV, right? So we were we were in HIV in 2000, 98, 99, 2000, when HIV patients were on eight, nine drugs at a time, mm -hmm. right? So we seen all of that. And the for us, when we started our clinics, we were like, yo, son, this is it. Like the STD rates are out the roof. Every single year, we're beating ourselves the year before, Right. It's, it's the highest it's ever been right now, um, which is bad for our community, good for business. In America or in, 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 America. in the world? In the world? In the mean? world, STD rates, we was at like 336 million um, STD cases, new STD cases last year. 336 million in the world? Right? World. What's 20 the, million. What's the number one STD? I got it. I know what it is. I'll teach you. It might have changed. But when I was teaching, it was chlamydia. Yes. Yeah, gonorrhea is going crazy. Gonorrhea and chlamydia. One out of every four STDs is gonorrhea or chlamydia. I was gonna make a joke just now when you said I got it, but no, no, gonorrhea for sure. Yeah, um, so so it's crazy, right? Because one of the biggest parts of our business is prevention HIV care, right? So they came out with a pill called Prep. 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 Right. So heterosexual community thinks that prep is just for the LGBTQ community. 
mm-hmm. right? But it's for everyone. Everyone could be on PrEP and it could prevent you from catching HIV if you have unprotected sex. 95% um, protect you from catching HIV. So that's the biggest. How's that, how's that work? You just take a pill and you can't get take, a pill. You take a pill, <laughs> a pill every, a day. A pill a day and you won't get HIV. Right. HIV is the virus that the virus that right. yeah. So, the so, so so they cured they cured HIV then. <laughs> I don't, wait, who's listening? It was, yeah, right. Listen, but the you don't said that many people getting HIV anymore, though, right? Hey, uh, no, this, it, it this. is. It is. You don't hear it. So we that's that's part of what we are challenged with, right? We're challenged with going out there and spreading the education is trying to destigmatize, you know, sex and and HIV because. It's still out there, very prevalent in our community, man. That's why we do it, right? So Cliff mentioned earlier it's, that it's very prevalent, still very, very prevalent yes. in our community. I mean, actually, uh, uh, black and brown women between the ages of eighteen and twenty-four are the highest at risk to catch HIV, unfortunately. So Cliff mentioned earlier that we have, you know, eight, you know, clinics and actually twelve, fifteen mobile clinics because we actually take our services into the community because there are a lot of places where it's very prevalent and it's just not talked about anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, it's the stigma. Mm-hmm. Right. The stigma in our community, everybody is like colleges and universities and in the underserved community, they're not walking in the STD clinic. They're not walking in Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. Um, every college, probably the college you went to had an STD clinic on on campus. No one's walking in there. They're like, no, nah, I'm cool, son. I, it, I'm i burning, itching, dripping, whatever. I'm not walking Unless in there. Unless they was there. giving out free condoms. Yeah, right. that's exactly. it. Exactly. And I was going in there to get the condoms and come right back out. Well, right. even, you think, so people aren't, you think people aren't going to clinics even if they have symptoms? They're not going to go to clinics? Even if they have symptoms. They just going to ride it out? Yes. And, uh, and I'm going to tell you why we know this. Because our mobile units go into the community and now the floodgates open. Our mobile units don't say HIV on it. We just say free health screenings, make it very So why do you think why do you think that that is the case? Cuz I would assume that most people would want to get treated. Cuz especially something like chlamydia you, you can get treated for it. Yeah, right? you can. Yeah. So it's like why would you want to live in pain or have they're some scared they're scared for the judgment, right? So okay. if it gets that bad, yeah, they run will to a hospital. Go, but they'll go very very quietly behind closed doors and, and get tested. And not tell anybody. And right. not tell anybody, anybody. Yeah. right? You're not going to your primary care talking to them about No, no, no. you probably go to yeah. Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. No, I've, I've, I've had that situation happen where you Wisconsin. have teens right. Who, right. who might contract something, mm-hmm. right? And they have to go to the doctor. They don't want to. But the doctor is under your parents' insurance. Right, exactly. right. You see that a lot in colleges. Right. Right. So like, what do you do? No, that, I mean, I, I could definitely see that that's embarrassing if you're going to go to your primary care physician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why... Your your situation is good because right. you nobody. Know, it's not like you're going to somebody that you're going to see again. Right. Exactly. Right. right. Exactly. Right. So they're only going to see us again for that particular modality. So if they're getting prep prevention HIV care from us, mm-hmm. they're going to come to us every three months to get that prevention HIV care. If they have HIV, they're going to come to us for their HIV care. They won't come to us for their blood right. pressure or high blood or, or their diabetes, but they will come to us for their HIV, STD, and um, PrEP um, every three months or every six months, depending on what the physician wants to see them for. So you, you said that, I mean, even prior to this, this sounds like there's a lot of costs associated with this. A lot you started with the, the brick and mortar and then went mobile? no. We went mobile first went mobile because first. mobile was cheaper. Yeah, break that down. Yeah, first. yeah. So um, so what happened was um, 2014, 2015, um, we've been doing work in the community for a minute. And the CDC reached out to us and said, hey, guys, I need help to penetrate the black and brown community. 
because those are the ones we can't get to get tested, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they knew that we've been in the community. Obviously, we know we know some political guys in Florida, and they were talking about us in Tallahassee to the CDC and they were in the Department of Health, and they were saying, "Hey." I got these guys that can help us in the South Florida market that's been in the market for a while. You know, let's reach out to them. Mm -hmm. So they reached out to us and they said, we have no money for you. We don't have no grants for you, but we need your help. Okay. What you need. Boom, 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 boom. Okay. You need to stop the spread of HIV and hepatitis C in the underserved community. Cool. We can help with that, but we need access. If you don't have no money, we need access. So they gave us access to a drug discount program that puts us in position to buy drugs for a cheaper price, but we still bill the higher price so we could take care of the community for free. Mm. So basically our healthcare services that we provide doesn't absolutely cost free. anything. It's so all our testing, free. all our stuff is absolutely free. So to launch, you know, me being an operations guy, I'm like, listen, man, we're not just going to go out here and spend a bunch of money, build this huge, big clinic and do take this large expense. So we look at, you know, census data and talk to the Department of Health and figure out what areas that that are in need. So generally what we do, our first clinic was a mobile clinic. We're like, listen, we'll send a clinic out. We find affiliate partners in the community, places that we know we could go park the mobile unit and do testing. Like Cliff said, our mobile units are very discreet. So it just says free health screening. And typically we try to make an activation, something around it. We may have like pizza, may have some type of stuff to kind of bring the community out. Once we start seeing that and see that the community buys in, Department of Health buys in, we have affiliate partners, then we'll go put a brick and mortar there. And then is how we kind of open up each different location. We kind of make sure that we, you know, there's a need in that particular city or in that county for our services and before we just open up a location. And not to be stupid, yeah. we make sure that there's business, right? right? Um, we're not a normal clinic that just open up a clinic and then wait for people to walk through our front door. We're not marketing in the newspaper or on the radio. We're not that clinic. We are the people who go to substance abuse facilities homeless shelters, methadone clinics, halfway, and house. halfway houses, jails, so on. So we go into those places. So we go get our business. Yeah, we go to we don't places wait where we know the patients are at risk for catching these these um, these um ailments that we're talking about. So in the beginning, when you're doing the, the mobile clinic, are you guys like the people that are yeah. actually doing it? Yeah, we were, listen, we were there five o'clock in the morning. Listen, it's, it's so funny. Man, our first mobile clinic, I think it caught on fire on 95, actually, because Damn. we were like, uh... We're not going to spend this money on this brand new, on this brand new mobile clinic. We're going to get some used joint, make sure that it's working. But yeah, we were there at 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, again, like like back in the pharmacy days, I went and got certified to do the rapid test, to do all that stuff. I'm like, right, yo, right. I'm not going to tell none of our staff to do anything that we're not going to do. Obviously, we're not medical providers. We're not doctors ourselves. So we had to obviously hire the physicians and nurse practitioners and stuff to do that part. But the testing and all of that stuff and all of the outreach, we were doing that stuff ourselves. I mean, Cliff, at some point, I remember a couple of homeless shelters, he was taking his jacket off his shoes off, giving it to patients and stuff. But yeah, but we were out there because we needed to understand exactly what the community need. So that way we could be able to extrapolate that and tell people. All right. So on the business side, another friend of mine, he has a a medical company and he's not a doctor and he was explaining to me like that's a stigma that a lot of people have yes. where they think like you know it's, you can't get into the medical right. unless you're a doctor but that's actually not true right? Not true at all. So you guys are not doctors. No. You don't have medical degrees right? No. Don't have any degrees. Don't so talk about that as far as degrees. Being, being <laughs> medical entrepreneurs hiring medical uh, medical 
people. Who's running these? Who's actually is there doctors doing this or is it? Yes. So nurses? we have um we have um a network of um, nurse practitioners and medical doctors. We have medical assistants. We have case managers too. Case managers are kind of like social workers, is what you could think of. Um, and we have patient services. So um. But yes, we do have nurse practitioners and doctors that actually see the patients. So yeah, talk about just you guys getting in the medical field and not having a medical background. Yeah. Um, so again, back to like that partnership thing, right? So the good thing about, I mean, about the state of Florida is that you actually can own a medical practice without actually being a physician. You just have to have a medical director on file, licensed medical director that you will put on all your licenses and stuff like that. Same thing with a pharmacy. You don't necessarily need to be a pharmacist to own a pharmacy. You just have to have what they call a PIC, which is a pharmacist in charge. And that's who that will sign off on all the documents and stuff like that. So same thing as your medical director. Um, they're generally are the ones who are liable for any malpractice, anything that happens. So that person has to obviously trust you and know that you're going to be- Got a relationship with them. Ab yeah. Absolutely. Of course, you have contracts and you have all types of insurance and things of that sort. But you have to have a medical provider who will be liable for anything. But we were under the impression that you had to be a physician as well. So yeah. the dude came to us and said, hey- come and work at the pharmacy with us. It was like, all right, cool, work at the pharmacy. But then when it came to owning the pharmacy, it was like, hold on, we could own the pharmacy and we're not a pharmacist? Mm -hmm. Because his partner, his original partner was the pharmacist. So he was like, none of us are pharmacists now. All three of us are just businessmen mm -hmm. at this point and we could still own the pharmacy. So, the, so then we dug deep into that and was like, oh, okay, so you don't have to be a doctor or, phys or a pharmacist to own a, a, a medical practice or a pharmacy. Right. It was like, oh, okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. But every physician's office that we knew was a physician that owned it and his well, wife ran think, it. At least you think that. That's yeah, think at least, yeah that. at least you thought that. So, so the, the first partnership, y'all learned the importance of having contracts and having lawyers and mm -hmm. understanding what splits are. The second business partnership, what was the valuable lesson from that before y'all created, you know, having your clinics and having a mobile one? So, so I'm going to tell you, we we did something super stupid, right? <laughs> Chasing took, after the Chinese. We took the money that we sold the last pharmacy, like 04, right? We sold those pharmacies. We took that money and it was the real estate pool. But we thought we were going to be Don Peoples. So <laughs> we said, Don Peoples, here we come. <laughs> And what happens? We get into the game, and when we get in, we don't stop. We're not the type of guys that's going to um, shy away from shit. Like, you tell me, no, I'm kicking down the door. That's just how that's just how we're built, right? Coming from where we come from, we're like, we ain't going back, so we're just going forward. So we get into the real estate game. We start flipping. We say, yo, son. This flipping stuff, son. We making money, but we ain't making money like that. Let's start developing. So then we start building multi-million dollar homes in, in Georgia, in Jacksonville. Yeah. We thinking we down peoples out here. We going crazy with the real estate. It was bad. Yo, we we pulling out, yo, we pulling out nine hundred thousand dollar loans to build two million, three million dollar houses. we we now we're gone. We use every penny we had now is in real estate. We didn't left the pharmacy business altogether. The business that we know got money for us, yeah. that we know we could take care of our community, that business we left. We ran after the shiny thing that was going. Everybody was in real estate. We ran after it. Right. We put everything into it. 07 came. Oh, yeah, everybody knows. It started, it started drying up, but we was like, nah, we built for this, son. It ain't going to happen to us. They was like, yo, son, 
y'all boys got 27 mortgages. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, Run it yo, up. yo, Run it up. You, it Run said, it up, it said, they said, you're going to, y'all boys going to keep paying those mortgages because everybody else done foreclosed. We like, like nah, nah son, what you talking about? We built a whole infrastructure. We good. 08 came. Duh, we lost like 1.3 million in a matter of like, 60 days. I was like, what the heck is happening? We lost so the lesson out. learned at that time is don't chase after the shiny thing, man. If we'd have just stay focused and what we know, and it's funny, man, because today we enter real estate now today, but on a different side of it right now, we're acquiring buildings to put our clinics in. So we understand how to leverage real estate now for our business. So yes, we learned that lesson at that point. Don't go chasing after every shiny thing because even today, um, it's so quick. I mean, the internet and social media shows that you can, you know, get rich by Amazon dropship and all these different things. And people just go chasing whatever they think can make money. Stick to what you're good at and just stay focused on that. So for us, if we were smart back then, we should acquire the buildings and put the pharmacies and clinics in those buildings in. So even when real estate folded, we would have still had the retail business. So yes, the lesson learned is, listen, don't go chasing after waterfalls. You know, stick to what you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Stick to the rivers and lakes that you use. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly. But again, it, the, it, the good thing is that now we use what we learned from losing all that money real estate to kind of leverage some of the real estate now for our clinics. Yeah, so that's a... um. That was a good lesson for us, right? Because we lost, but we still learned, right? Right. right. Um, so after we went broke, me and this young man, six years old or so, seven, we had to walk to Wendy's back and forth to get dollar meals, chicken nuggets, five-piece chicken nuggets. It was hard. It was, it was like, yo. So me and my wife gets, get married, right? My wife gets pregnant. I got to find a job. Steve, Steve selling paper for Office Depot on the side of the street, knocking on doors. The business paper. sales. That was humbling this house. And to go from being a millionaire to now you out here like. Paperboy? Yeah, paperboy. Like yeah. doing business. This is the business sales. He, he's selling loose leaf. He's selling loose leaf <laughs> well, out I'm here. Door to door business sales, selling Office Depot um, office supplies. So my wife tells me, yo, son, like. You got to get a job, man. Like, yo, son, you can't be out here trying to hustle right now, son. You got to get a job. I said, I got you, son. I got you. I had a friend that worked at Kaplan University. Kaplan University is an online school, mm -hmm. right? Um, they said they was hiring admission advisors. So we go there to work as an admission advisor. And I don't know nothing about college. I didn't even go to college. But I knew sales. And I learned that... If I took what they told me, I asked them a bunch of questions, they told me it, then I used it against them for them to enroll into school, right? Sounds bad. It's not bad. I'm saying they want to go to school. They called me. I didn't call them. But the craziest thing is that I was like the superstar in the company. I was president's club, everything. So I started at $30,000 a year, went up to $100,000 a year in 30 days. No, three months, 90 days. Wow. From thirty thousand to a hundred thousand, but to me, I was broke. Hey, coming from where we came you know from, I mean? we like, man, what the heck? So a year goes by. Well, Steve came. Steve came to work there as started well. Working at Capital. Yeah, I started working yeah. at Capital. Too, I took him off the street. I took him off the street. He, he was in the track. sun. I was like, come out the street, man. Get a, get some of this AC. <laughs> um, Steve's killing it too. Obviously, we're hustlers, so we're killing it at Kaplan University. They give us a whole team. Our, our team was called Guap City or something like that. Like we was like sincere about making it happen because we were rich before. 
Now we're broke. So now we're like, yo, we got a whole for Steve just had a baby. I just had a baby. Steve just got married. I just got married. We're like, yo, son, we got to get this back. So all while we're at Kaplan University. We're building our, our, our next business. We're building our GoodRx. So Good R, before GoodRx, we built that platform. Mm. Couldn't get right? any funding, though. Yeah, two black dudes can't get no funding for a platform like that, right? So we built that platform for independent pharmacies. Tell everybody what GoodRx is. GoodRx is a platform that you can go on and you could use coupons and get medications for cheaper prices um, from all the big box stores. And so you'll always get a discount on your generic drugs if you go through, if you use GoodRx, not to promote them. But um, Meds Low, which was our company, is medication's lowest prices. We built that platform out. And I went to Argentina to go and get the developers to build that platform out. And we seen that it was going somewhere, like we was getting some traction. And I was making $100,000 a year, but I was like, I'm broke. So I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my wife. I didn't tell my sisters, my mother, nobody. I just quit. And everybody was like, what the fuck are you doing? It's just broke. They was, they was just lending me bread like a year ago. And now you're making a hundred grand. Everybody think that you made it. You, know, you, you back. And I'm like, nah, I can't get comfortable. Comfort is the worst drug yeah, to me. Fact, at least for an entrepreneur. So I was like, I can't get comfortable. I'm sorry. And I knew that everybody was going to try to talk me out of it. So I was like, nah, son. I got to pull the... Go rogue. Yeah, I, I got to go rogue. Go rogue. And I quit. And shit went left. Shit got worse because we couldn't get funding for Meds Low. So we didn't get funding for it. Shit went left. And out of nowhere, these dudes that um, that I was telling you about that owned the group of compound pharmacies nationwide, yeah. these businessmen, but they didn't understand pharmacy, they reached out to us and they was like, yo, son... I need you all to come and run our pharmacies. It was 12 pharmacies nationwide. They didn't understand pharmacy at all, but they understood the business model that they created, which was compounding the pain creams. That's what, that's what business they were in. Mm -hmm. So we was like, no problem. We can run the pharmacies. And what, we got 8%? Mm -hmm. We got 8% of that business. They gave us 8% of that business. And that business was doing a million a month? A million a month. Yeah million dollars a month that business was doing so they brought us into it um and we were killing it and then they brought a new ceo in and that new ceo burnt the company sure he, and we didn't have no say we had eight percent we were pool putts you know um so that ceo burnt the company we sold our shares and we got out of that business and that was 2014 when we started independent medical group. Gotcha. So what what's what do you need? Like what's the licensing that you need to operate the type of business that you operate? So for a clinic um in our space, right, you need a couple of things, right? So the way we operate generally, like I mentioned earlier, we would like to go in the area. We typically would talk to the Department of Health. So you need like a general stuff that you would need for a regular retail business. You need like a business license. Um Yo, if you thought the McCrispy was busting, hold up. Bacon and Ranch have entered the chat. Say hello to the Bacon Ranch McCrispy. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I participate in McDonald's limited time only. For us, you need um, what is called a site ID, right? So you'll call the Department of Health, and depending on where you are, if you're 
plan on building like Medicaid, you need like a CMS. That must be typically would contact CMS, which is the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services. So you need a license for that. You might need the um um um, you know, Cliff was saying like NPI numbers, NCPP numbers. So it really just depends on what vertical you're planning on doing. So if it's, if it's, you know, STD or if it's primary care, we'll determine what type of license you need. But obviously you actually need a physician who has, you know, a physician license, but it really just depends. But for us, it's very simple. Is the Department of Health give us what we call a testing side ID number. And that what kind of gives you the um, ability to provide the testing and treating. Then you need a CLIA so that way you can be able to, you know, draw blood and stuff like that. So there's certain licensing you need. It just varies depending on what state you're in and what modality or what vertical that you're... you're how how long does that take, right? Because a lot of times you apply for something and it's like... Oh, it, it definitely takes time. Dealing with the <laughs> dealing with the bureaucracy of the government definitely takes a long time. And it, and it costs too, right? So um, for us, um, to get one of our clinics up and running to get the license. It typically takes about 90 days mm -hmm. to get everything just because there's so many, so many codependencies and stuff because you got to wait for this to come in before you can apply for that and you have to wait for DA, you have to wait for... So certain things that you need. Um, but yeah, but it generally takes about 90 days. And how much would it start? Like if I wanted to open up a clinic, how much operating money you need? So for us to open up a clinic, it costs about 350K to get a full brick and mortar clinic up and running. To get a mobile clinic, it'll rain you anywhere from 250, maybe a million, depending on how lavish you want the mobile clinic. Ours are pretty small, so we try to keep it between two to 300,000. Um, but, um, but that's generally what the barrier entry would be to get into what we do. Yeah, and the mobile clinics, when we talk about mobile clinics, your mobile clinic could be a two-exam room mobile clinic with a waiting room on wheels. Mm -hmm. Or it could be one exam room like ours. Ours are sprinter trucks. So we get sprinter trucks and we put them on the road because it's a lot easier and quicker to get them on the road. So we don't want to have to wait for a build out of a, of a big mobile clinic that has two exam rooms or have to wait for, have to worry about licensing for that, um, for that truck on the road. Cause that, that truck is that big. That means they need to have a a CDL license to drive that truck. Yeah. So now we put ourselves in a whole nother situation financially, which we try not to. So we try to get the smaller mobile clinic so we could get it out the door quicker and we could get to work. And that get to work for us is 10 to 20 new patients per day per mobile clinic. Okay. Right? So that's what I was, I was looking at. I'm like, obviously from our racial standpoint, obviously from the business mind, it's like before I can create the clinic, I need to know how many patients right. I have to see exactly. on a daily exactly. basis, on a monthly basis, exactly. on a daily basis. Exactly. Because that will determine obviously how much the profitability. The profitability. Yes. Absolutely. So Absolutely. When, when you got when you're looking at that, that's something you have to learn. Right. But when do you realize, okay, we've hit our number here. Let's scale to another area. Let's get another truck. Um to be honest with me, like I said, what we said earlier, I mean the need is so vast that even with the 12 or 15 mobile clinics we have now in the eight locations. I think we actually have 10 because I think we signed two new leases this week. Um, we're still not covering the whole state of Florida. There's still so much, so much that we need. And that's why we created Healthy MD um, because we feel as if, you know, just future thinking and trying to future proof our business, we want to make sure we're able to, you know, kind of get, you know, to a more of a nationwide um, platform. But, you know, you just kind of get economies of scale. So for us, we know that once we get to a certain amount of patients, um, we generally will put two or three mobile clinics out and then we'll move on to another another area. So once we get enough affiliate partners, or when I say affiliate partners in the community, I'm talking about the halfway houses, substance abuse clinics. Once we figure figure that out and we know that this clinic is sustainable with at least about 200 active patients, mm -hmm. then we'll move on to the next because definitely don't want, you know, people say, 
um, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket for us. We're like, yo, we're going to put all our eggs in that basket and going to protect the heck out of the basket. So we put all our eggs in that one basket, in that one clinic, grow it, and then we'll move on to the next location. Mm. Yeah, and because we are so knowledgeable of the industry and what we do today, we don't have to... Our team already did the work on where we're going next, yeah, right? We know where we're going we're, for the next yeah, three years. Exactly, exactly. We know what cities we're going to. We know what states we're going to. Um, we know what areas. We know if we're doing a mobile clinic or a brick and mortar. We know if we're doing brick and mortar and five mobile clinics because some of our brick and mortar is just hubs right. for our mobile clinics. And our mobile clinics go in five different directions every morning and go to different communities. Yeah, I, like I said, the reason why we have more mobile clinics than than physical locations because our business model is different, right? We don't open up a clinic, like Cliff said, and wait for people to come. We bring the services to people who wouldn't otherwise come to a clinic. You know what I mean? Or otherwise even come to a doctor. It's funny, a lot of the people that we service, I mean, we're like their source for a physician. I mean, because they're like, I'm not going to the doctor. We don't go, as a culture, we don't normally go to the doctor. Unless it's broken or bleeding, we're not going to the doctor, unfortunately. So we have to actually, you know, kind of bring the services to them. So as far as the business model, how do you make money from this? From Medicaid, people like people coming and you're so, charging them the Medicaid and the Medicaid is reimbursing it? Like what's right, the, what's right. the So right. not, not on. Remember, all the healthcare services are free. Right. We don't charge for it at all. We don't build insurance for it. That's another reason why our license structure, we don't have to get as many licenses as, a, as another clinic because we're not billing. But it also gives us autonomy in some cases as well. And this is why you need good attorneys because good attorneys will break that down for you and say, yo, you're making $25 to see this patient for a visit. That $25 does nothing for you. Where's the money at so you could continue to provide this service? The money's in the medication. The medication costs a thousand dollars, two thousand, five thousand, ten thousand, depending on the medication or the ailment that you're providing for, right? That you're solving for. Mm. So when our attorneys broke it down to us and they said, you could do this, but this is gonna stop you from giving away food vouchers, transportation, housing. All of those stuff, you can't give that stuff away when you own a clinic. When you own a clinic, that's illegal for you to give out yeah, they call that food vouchers. They call it inducement. So we had to figure out the best way to provide for our community without billing um, CMS or Medicaid. Because CMS and Medicaid, that's government charge. They're, they're government funded. So they're paying you. If they're paying you, they got a whole different rules and regulations behind CMS and Medicaid. Right. So, that's why we don't get involved with them. We don't use them at all. Right. So for us, man, so all the testing... Um, and all the medical services are free. So the remuneration comes from the filling of the prescriptions, right? So similar to like a, if you ever been to like an urgent care, we have like dispensaries in our clinics. So when you come in, if you ever been to like an urgent care, you'll go in there, whatever issue you have. Typically when you walk out, they can give you an antibiotic or they'll give you a prescription right then and there. So our clinics are kind of built the same way. We have a, uh, dispensaries in them where you come in and the medical, um, services, which is the testing is absolutely free, but the treatment, which is the medication component is where we actually make the revenue. So people will come in and they may not have insurance at all, right? Because for us, we are open to any and everybody, but our patient services and our case managers would help that person, one, procure insurance in order to make them a profitable so, for us. Okay. So anybody can go in, there's no charge. No charge. But if you actually, if you have something, if you have something, the, and let's say you have something, you have insurance, 
then we'll obviously we'll bill your insurance for the actual medication treatment. But if you come in and you don't have insurance, obviously the medication is very expensive. Then you'll go through our patient services. We'll help procure your insurance to help you get the actual treatment. So the, we only make remuneration from the treatment. And that's like Medicaid. So it's not typically, generally it's not Medicaid because for the program that we're on, the program that we do, it can't, right. we can't, we can't build any Medicaid or Medicare. We can't do any government payers because of the fact that we give away the, the, the um, medical services for free. So it's generally it's either um, uh, exchange health plan that they're on or some type of commercial health plan. How much is the medication? Um, so for um, generally our cost or the actual reimbursement? Like th- the reimbursement. So for um, for HIV, it ranges, the reimbursement is typically anywhere from 1000 to maybe 5000 depending on the actual medication. For like one bottle? For one bottle. One bottle, one one bottle month, per month. One bottle, one month supply. For PrEP, which there are a couple of medications that are PrEP. There's, there's one that's called Truvada and one that's Descovy. Um, that's the HIV prevention medication. Oh, Truvada. I see that commercial. Yeah, you see the commercial all the time. Every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the, it's always the craziest commercial because yeah. you, you see people smiling on the beach. Right. And they're talking about what it's for. <laughs> <laughs> like, then you hear the side effects. And like, yeah, like what? <laughs> should I but, <laughs> right? It depends, right? So the people, the customers and the, and the people that we service, most of them should because they're living riskier lives, right? They're typically, like I said, they're, they're at a halfway house, they're substance abuse, they people who are either um you know high drug risk. users high, high risk. risk sharing so needles they need to be on it so for that medication the reimbursement ranges anywhere from 1500 to 1800 dollars hepatitis c is another ailment that we treat and that reimbursement is ridiculous it's anywhere from 15 to 30000 dollars 30000 30000 per, per month. month it's a cure per patient per it's, patient it's a treatment but it's 3 month okay. treatment and then you don't have to take it anymore what's the percentage of people that come in that actually have something for us, it's about um, 85%. So you people, they know that something's not right. Right. No. So the difference <laughs> is... Right. Like it's so, coming. In. <laughs> 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 no, <laughs> so the difference... The ah! dif- <laughs> so the difference for us, right? <laughs> I think I saw something crawling. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so the, the difference for us, the reason why our conversion rates are so high is, again, because of our target audience, right? Yeah. So we go specifically after the people who are at risk. Our business model is different. We're not like open up a clinic and come on, come all. We're yeah. going specifically after the people that we know that are going to be at risk. And we know that the... the um, your, your win is built, you know... Right, that, right, that like, right, right, yeah. right. So like I said, the places that we're going to, like most recently, um, the president of our company is actually a, a very smart black woman. And um, one of the um, new initiatives that we had earlier this year that we we never even thought about was actually the jail systems and the prison systems. So we actually go into like the jails now and the prisons are providing the same um, sexual health care to them. And it's like 90%. Have, yeah, this, this is interesting. Well, well, let me just say something. Okay. What, um, that's interesting. How are they getting STDs in jail? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. So, so it's a lot of, that's not a reasonable question to ask. No, it's a reasonable question. It's a great question. It's a, it's a, it's a great question, but um, things are happening that we don't know. We don't know what's happening. Right. We know. And another thing too, the jails do not test. On a regular basis, when you come in. When right. you come, come in, so people are coming right. into with a lot of things. And, and, right. and the problem too is that they don't want to. See, this is a cost um, saving situation, yeah. right? If they test you, they gotta treat you, right? right? So they don't test you because they like, I'm not spending my money on that. And remember, jails are private, so okay. now. Most jails are private. So now you have to spend that money to treat that person. You can't let that person sit there with hepatitis C if you test them and you know they're positive for hep C, right? Mm-hmm. So they're responsible for the health care of that person. So they try to do the bare minimum, but they don't test for everything. There's a fine line 
mm-hmm. in this business, right? It is. Because you make money on the treatment, but really there needs to be money spent for the prevention. Absolutely. Exactly. So how do, you, how do y'all balance that? Listen, that's, that's, that's one of the biggest lifts for us, right, is the education and... Um, is the education and the stigma. We spend a lot of time and a lot of money. One of our um, recent partnerships with the Arthur Ashe uh, Foundation in New York because they do a lot of outreach and education and prevention. And that's what we do. Like I said, most of our, all of the healthcare we provide is free because a lot of what we do is education and trying to do a lot of that prevention. So, you know, Cliff, like I said, we can't boil the ocean. We only know we can do our part in what we in what we do as far as the verticals that we service. So we do a lot of outreach. We do a lot of events. We do a lot of education. The colleges has been a big initiative of ours. Like Cliff said, I think, you know, 5 million or so STDs at the colleges last year out of the 20 or so million STDs. 20 million new STDs. Nationwide. So we try to do initiatives to go out into the colleges and do education and, 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 and do that. But it's difficult, man. It's, it's definitely a challenge. Yeah, our balance is... The money that we get from the medication, we use it for the free healthcare we provide to the community, right? That's our balance. We also have a nonprofit called IMG Helps, and we and we get grants from the government to help us offset the free healthcare that we give in the community as well, right? So we're working all of these angles to provide free healthcare, but also get some type of help, donations, um, to help us offset that cost because that cost is a high cost. How many people come in to your clinic average per month? It's 20 patients per mobile unit per, I'm um, 10 to 20 patients per mobile unit per per day. So we're seeing about four or 500 people per week. Per week. And what's the retention rate? Like if, if somebody, I'm sure you got those numbers right. Oh yeah, yeah. Our retention rate is about 90%, right? So the reason being, again, is because we bring the services to people and typically they're at locations where they're not mobile, right? So if you had a halfway house, you had a substance abuse clinic, we know exactly where you are. So we're coming to you. And, and then with HealthyMD, the fact that now we have this um, end-to-end kind of telehealth online platform, people could just access us online at any point that they will, they want to. So our retention rate is higher than most because, again, when the convenience aspect of it is what we learned in our pharmacy in our first um, you know uh, uh, business venture when servicing the underserved community is that um, you have to, one, wrap, wrap your business around the ancillary needs that they may have. So you got to understand a lot of the people we deal with have these social economic issues. Like Cliff was mentioning, they need housing, they need food, they need all these different things. Mm-hmm. So our patient services department helps provide all of those services. So that makes them a more of a um, um, adherent patient or mm-hmm. loyal patient because they know that they're not just coming to you for healthy. They're coming to me to help them find housing too. If they need, you know, um, you know, assistance with their co-payment for their insurance, we're helping them with all of those different things. So that's why it helps our retention rate. Now, the, the revenue has increased each of the last five years. Absolutely. God, God bless. God, God bless. bless. Yeah. Um, so what 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 is you know attributed to it? Is, is it just the expansion of more mobile units and more clinics, or are we doing something fundamentally inside of the business, adding new features to so, help generate more? So it's two. Um, one thing, um, what Steve was saying is that the retention rate. Why is the retention rate the way that it is? Is because our team also is really really good at finding the patients when they fall out of care. Mm. So our patient services team and our outreach team, which is our street team, because it's not when we were throwing parties, we got this from our party days, passing our flyers. That's our street team, right? Mm -hmm. Turn around to healthcare. Our street team are the ones that know where all of the people are when they disappear. Oh, he's on the 14th Street Bridge. Mm. Oh, he's over here in front of this halfway house. Oh, he's behind this building over there. 
They know ex- they know exactly where they're at. They know how to go and find them. They know how to get them their medication so they could keep them in care. So that's one thing. Second thing is growth, right? More mobile clinics. So in every brick and mortar that we have, we could have five to 10 mobile clinics leaving out of that brick and mortar, especially in Central Florida and North Florida, because you have so many cities around there. We could go in 10 different communities. Yeah, so many rural communities. We could go in 10 different directions every morning and we could get to 10 to 20 patients per mobile unit per thing. The biggest problem that we have is that we can't find the Sprinter vans, enough Sprinter vans to put on the streets. And then the the conversation about funding, about a black-owned business that's doing the numbers that we're doing at 20 to 25% profit margins, and we're self-funded. All of this, ourselves. It's crazy that the banks, that the VC firms, that the PE firms, they look at us as more like if we was begging for money, they would give it to us charity-wise, but because in their eyes, we're not investable, if that's a word, <laughs> right? They're like, uh, yeah, it's a cute business, you know? A cute business at 36 million, 20% profit margins? That's, like that's one of the conversations we had. Yeah. yeah but it's it, funny though, man. He, he says that, but to, to answer your question, so yes, more mobile clinics and stuff like that, but also we did implement um, behavioral health is another thing that kind of helped. Um, but, you know, offering uh, additional offerings like mental health was one of the things that actually helped. But like Cliff said, more mobile clinics and stuff like that um, definitely contributed to the increase in revenue. But back to the VC and investment thing, it's funny how, you know, they don't value your business, or they didn't value our business when it comes for us trying to raise capital, but they come and try to buy us out every other week, though. <laughs> every other week, we get a, uh, we want to, you know, we want to, we want to you know, offer you guys X amount, your multiple to come buy you out and just get like, well, you want to come take our business to come take, you know, and, and reap the benefits from our community, but you don't want to invest in us for us to invest back in the community. Because we know, we've seen it before with our independent pharmacy. We know exactly what they're going to do. Yeah. They're going to come buy us out, get us out of there, use our business, use our, you know, top line revenue to you know, swallow it up with whatever other company that they have to, you know, probably exit and go public. But I know that they're not going to provide the same services to our community that we're trying to provide. What kind of multiple do they offer in the, in the healthcare space? Um, generally for us in the specialties, anywhere from, you know, 12 to 15 multiple. So um, where, where did mental health come into this play? Well, because of all of the places that we're going to, um, we see that a lot of the patients that we deal with with HIV, hepatitis, USDs have comorbidities, meaning that they're dealing with some type of behavioral health issue. And, and it's great, I mean, because we come from a, from a time where not only, um, you know, talking about mental health and, and therapy was like faux pas. So I'm glad that today it's actually more accepted. Um, so it's easier for us now to be able to offer those services because now it's more accepted, it's more open. So going to the places that we go to, we just felt like that was another gap in healthcare in our community that, listen, because these patients are already here, we're already dealing with them with these modalities. We're like, listen, let's see if we can try to incorporate some of this behavioral health services just because it was just the need for it. Yeah, you want to maximize as much as you can um, and take care of the patient. Um, at the same time. So we looked at it and we said, hey, what's another modality that these same patients that we deal with today mm-hmm. can utilize? And right. mental health was the closest thing to yeah, it. Yeah, for, for us, we like to stick in like the specialties. When I say specialty, I mean like like the HIV and behavioral health, not kind of like a general practice type stuff, right? We like to stick to those things because one, back to what I said earlier, we we don't like to see as competition. There are a lot of great clinics in the community that provide some of the services we provide, but a lot of times their focus is primary care, right? Mm-hmm. They're not focused on the modalities and the things that we focus on because they are very costly to 
to service. I mean, the infectious disease doctor is a lot more expensive to hire than a primary care. Um, the medications are very expensive. So we come in there and be like a conduit and an asset to them. I was, I was kind of thinking that. I was just doing the numbers in my head. I'm like, <laughs> at this rate, five years, it's going to be a billion dollar company. Oh, for sure. This sure. is like a this is yeah. a billion dollar company. And again, we're just and we're just in the state of Florida. So future thinking and trying to future proof our business is why we launched this Healthy MD. We're like because prior to COVID, you know, Cliff being the sales guy, right? You know, and you know, I'm more operations every time. You know, they call us Pinky in the Brain because Cliff comes up with these crazy ideas. I'm like, okay, bro. Like I'm, I know I'm the dream killer. This guy every time. Let's figure out how we're gonna execute this, right? So prior to COVID, we was like, listen, we're gonna open up clinics all over the nation. We're gonna open up clinics all over the place and. It got down that path, started going to a couple of different states and looking, you know, in Pennsylvania, looking in um, uh, Ohio, different areas where we know that the need was there to open up clinics. And, uh, you know, obviously COVID took a step back and, and didn't allow us to do that. And even the Department of Health shift their focus to COVID. So we're like, OK, there's no resources for us. We can't really expand outside of the state. And Cliff was like, listen. I got an idea. Won't we just take this online? Listen, we could, we're still servicing the underserved. Our people are still not getting tested at the rates that they should. Let's create HealthyMD where we could actually ship the test kits to people's homes. We could use our same telehealth platform. They can still see the physicians online. They can still have the same privacy and autonomy that we have with, that, with independent medical group. But now we could get you know to a lot more people a lot quicker. We could reach more, treat more, like we like to say. So that's hence the reason why we play more, treat more. Right. Yeah. I was I was wondering like what what does expansion look like? Obviously, right. online helps, but you know dealing with different states, different licenses. Right. Right. And right. you said you kind of niche inside of the, you know the sexually transmitted disease right. space, but like, would you ever think of maybe treating something? Obviously, mental health is something, but right. like diabetes, which is high in, in our community. So, well. so Healthy MD has that opportunity, right? Because Healthy MD is an online platform telehealth. We have primary care physicians, we'll have infectious disease physicians, we'll have oncologists, whatever, because COVID threw us into this place five years early that we were supposed to be, right? We were going there anyway, but five years early, boom, it's like everything's online. Everybody's getting tested online. Everybody's doing education everybody's online. Comfortable everybody's with more comfortable now. with telehealth now. Every insurance company is pushing all of their people to do online telehealth. So yes, HealthyMD can be a... Every modality can be on Healthy MD. Just the launch is launching in sexual health, like but said, that's not where it's going to stay. We learn from our past mistakes. We don't go chasing after what's shiny. We go <laughs> stick to what we know, mm -hmm. and then yes, you can actually. I mean, you could add it. You could add it little by little. You could add so it. So there's but definitely opportunity for other for other verticals. For yeah, sure. you say five years. I say two. <laughs> like so what's the scale? So the scaling model is the online. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. That's 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 going to absolutely. And, it's and a mix. Explain the online. Vibe again? So online is pretty much just a, you know, end-to-end -end kind of solution, right? So in the brick and mortar, we actually are bringing the physical mobile clinics to you. Online is the same, but you're just pretty much ordering a test kit, comes to the, comes to your home, you're able to, you know, to actually test yourself, send a test kit back to our lab. Once we get the results, you do a telehealth visit, we'll go over your lab results with you. If, I mean, just like your normal um, uh, physician, we ask you, you know, a list of questions to see kind of like a health assessment. And if you're at risk, um, you know, we'll talk to you about your risk factors. And if you need to be on HIV prevention, we'll put you on whatever medication that you need. Um, but it's the same situation about as our brick and mortar, but more at the comfort of your own home and the convenience of being able to, you know, to do it. Anyway. But it's private. But so, but that seems like a, cause it's like you gotta, you gotta urinate in a capsule and then in a cup. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. a lot. Uh, not, 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 not really. <laughs> and ship it. Yeah. Yeah. People I'm are saying, doing it all day every if day. If you're now. in the position that, that we think you're in, 
you yeah. worried about having chlamydia, gonorrhea, right. or anything, yeah. and you don't want to walk into that clinic yeah. and be embarrassed or be judged, yeah. you're going to order the test kit. And one of the big differentiators for us is that our test kits are free. Right. We're giving the test kits it's away. And but you just got to pay for shipping. No, nope. we don't have to pay for the shipping. Oh, it comes with a label so, on it. Yeah, right. it so we do the same thing that we did in our brick and mortar. The only remuneration we receive is when, when it's time for the treatment. So yes, so the, the actual... Um, Test kit is a small little prick, kind of like you ever see like the little uh, diabetes test that you just yeah, yeah, prick. Yeah. So something similar like that. You do a little prick, put it on the um, pad, and then yes, you do urinate in a cup and then send it off. So you give blood and urine. Mm-hmm. And then we run a full panel, full STD, HIV. And then in a couple of days, you meet with a, a doctor? You actually do it right away. So you actually can see the physician within 24 hours. So even before we get your results, if because some people are very symptomatic, Right, so if you're feeling the symptoms, like I need to talk to a doctor right now, so you could actually talk to a. Why a, you just jump like that? It's like the, the running joke in the office, like yo, niggas, niggas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said you itching, you dripping. Yeah, you saw right. Flashbacks. Flashbacks. Like I need my shot. Like now, but um. But yeah, so you actually can see the position right right away because if you're feeling symptomatic, we actually can write you an antibiotic before you even get your results. So legally, legally. before you even take your test or or get your results, like Steve said, we could write you a prescription. Um, and if your results come back and it says you had gonorrhea instead of chlamydia, which the physicians notice, our physicians are infectious disease physicians, so they understand what the symptoms look like to what disease. Mm-hmm. So they would write you a prescription for chlamydia. If it came back and said Unfortunately, you had HIV or something like that. Then we we'll get you into care. We we'll right get away. you into care right away. So it, it, no, I was gonna say you 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 told us what it takes to start it, right? Let's say I got a mobile van tomorrow. I want to start this business because at this point, there's two of you, but this the team has to be. I mean, oh yeah, we have just grown. Uh, one hundred fifty employees now. I think hundred. That's a lot. Yeah. So congrats on that because you're employing people. The if I'm starting it, I, what are the essential people that I need? Obviously, I need the physician. Right. How? I need the 250K. What are the things that I need outside of that? So, I mean, we're built a little different, right? So I'm going to be honest, right? Um, It just depends on how much you're willing to risk. Because for us, we are boots on the ground, kind of do-it-ourselves types of guys. So, I mean, our model, in order for us to get started, because what we would generally will hire, like, you know, a very experienced, what we call site manager, right? So we'll find a location, or figure out this is the area that we want to be in. Like, okay, this area is in need. We know that there's enough, um, you know, patients or enough customers for us to service in this area. So we hire what we call a site manager. Typically, the person has a background in, you know, in medicine and medical profession. Not necessarily a doctor, but has some medical management experience. So that's the person that we hire first because that's the person who's going to have to build out their team for that area. So we figure out the location hire this person, this manager will kind of, you know, be there while we're getting the licenses and getting that stuff situated. So you could kind of grind it out yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have some of that experience, I mean, Cliff and I played all of those positions. Like we were the ones in the pharmacy ourselves or the ones in the clinics ourselves. So, so it really just depends on your level of expertise and what you know. But the bare minimum, yes, you have to have somebody that has some type of medical acclimate or know what needs to be done or at least have an attorney that can guide you into what licensing and what applications and stuff that you need. But just finding a small location, um, we would typically get a small administrative office first because we don't want the big expenditure of a large space and then get a mobile clinic. It's cheaper to operate a mobile clinic than it is a full-on you know, brick and mortar space and all that stuff. So once we see that that area um, 
it's deemed necessary to get a full-on um, clinic is that's when then we put the investment in. So it's very small. So you don't necessarily have to spend the three fifty out the gate. Mm-hmm. You can find. I mean, in Florida, the, the rent in Miami is ten times more than it is in Tallahassee, right? So you just got to find the um, the space in the area that that there is need for the services you're trying to provide, and then figure out what that barrier to entry is. For us, it's cheaper to get a small administrative office and a mobile clinic, right? Because, you know, the payments on a mobile clinic, a couple hundred bucks, the rent is a couple thousand, right? So until that location starts generating enough revenue, then we'll get a bigger space. So Teladoc is a company that Big. went public, Huge. made a splash, multi-billion dollar valuation. Is this the goal that you want to take your company public on the stock market? No, that's not the goal. We've had conversations. Um like Steve said, people have came to us and offer us um, some money, not the multiples that we want. Um, and some people has came to us and offered us to go public, right? And they want to charge a hundred, uh, half a million dollars or a million dollars to go public, right? To us, um, no, no, son, we still, we still hood by heart. So. <laughs> we, I don't know about that public stuff. You know, yeah, there's a, there's a lot wanna, going on. Yeah, with we that. definitely want to. We definitely going to want to exit. I think that the last. Two or three, you know, P of VC firms that came to us to try to buy us out. We knew that um, they didn't see our vision. And but, that, our but that's not buying. But you still maintain. So, yes, you can. You, you're still owners of the company. You still, you still owners. You're just, you're just not the majority owner. Right, mm-hmm. right. And then the issue that we have with those scenarios, because again, we're you know scoring from our past um, business relationships, is that um, our mission has always been to service the underserved community and. Um, unless we get a partner that comes in, unless we totally exit completely, like, hey, exit, you guys go, go your way, take your, you know, you know, eight, nine figures and you go off in Maryland and, and we're completely away from it. Um, to bring in a partner, we have to make sure that they still see the same vision and understand that our goal and our mission is always to serve, you know, our community. And, and when I say underserved too, yes, today our underserved is black and brown because that's kind of where we are. But underserved in Ohio is predominantly white. When you're talking about the opioid epidemic, I mean, they're underserved Word. too, right? So mm-hmm. the hep C rates are ridiculous in, in Ohio. So um, unless a PE firm that comes in or a VC firm that comes in and, 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 and takes majority, as long as they're on that same path that we're on, we're, we're open to it. Um, but the goal is to eventually exit for that billion dollar valuation. Yeah, eventually. Um, but I would, we would much rather a minority investor right now because we have a vision that we know we can get to, mm-hmm. right? And I think that if we let anybody come in today as majority, that vision is over. Regardless of what's said in that meeting, dude, there's so much twisting turns that go on during those. Yeah, you guys probably know better than we do. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's challenging. Because listen, being the operations guy, right, I look at, because you know, before we had 150 employees, all those executives, I was the lawyer, the CFO, I was playing all those hats, right? So I'm looking at the numbers, I'm looking at all that. So I know that, because we look at businesses to acquire. So I could go in and say, ah, you guys are providing all of these ancillary services. Like I said, we help people with co-payments. We help people with housing. Somebody will come in and be like, hey, listen, if you just stop doing that, we can make an extra $5 million a year. And I'm like, nah, but that's what helps us do what we do. That's what the people need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's some of the challenges of, with some of these VCs because they all they look at is numbers and they don't understand the culture around what we do. They don't understand our business. Hence why 
we're the only ones doing what we do in our community because they don't understand it, right? So I would hate to get a partner who's just looking at our business as just dollars and cents. We look at them as our people and our family, you know what I mean? Yeah, we we, we like to say something like um, an investor for us is somebody with smart money, right? And smart money for us is somebody that understands the business model, right? And understands because, the culture. And understands the culture because if you come in and you understand that, then you're going to say, okay, guys, how can I help mm-hmm. versus how can I make more money? Because we're gonna make we're gonna make the money. The money's gonna come. That's not even a question. But it's just the money to take us there, right? The twenty million dollars that we might need to get to that place to make that billion dollar valuation. That's what it is. We're gonna get there whether we get the money or not. Because like 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 Cliff said, um, we've been doing this ourselves. We don't have any debt, no loans, no nothing. Just me and him just been funding this just whole thing. Steve's Amex. That's so. it. <laughs> so much leverage. <laughs> so much leverage. So much Back. leverage. Word. <laughs> well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate you, brothers. Man, anything else you want to talk about before we? Yeah. Um. So this weekend is Grammy weekend, right? And last night we was at the Black Collective. Um, right, event. Yo, these and, guys are everywhere, by the way. And, yeah, yeah. I'm everywhere. <laughs> we, try, we try to be, man. We try to you spread know, this Y'all word, boys man. are everywhere. Well, we just appreciate to be some places you all are at. <laughs> right. um, but last night at the Black Collective, you know, we was with Rico Love, and Rico Love is the chair of the Black Collective, and we was with my man Harv, um, who's the CEO of um, the Grammys. And we were talking to them about doing a PSA with our artists, actors, entertainers in the business to stop the spread of HIV and hepatitis C and STDs in the underserved community. You know, that is like, that's monumental, right? We had PSAs before done for the LGBTQ community. We had PSAs done for COVID, you know, Angela Yee and, and Jada Kiss and, um, and Jim and all of them did a COVID PSA for New York. It played throughout the whole city all day, every day to tell people get tested for COVID. Why can't we do that for STDs? Yeah, because we come from that era. I mean, you know, I'm not a lot older than we probably look, but I mean, I come from that, you know, you know, uh, salt and pepper days. And, you know, let's talk about Satan where, you know, being healthy sex was kind of cool. Like, you know, like the you know, house party, walk around with a condom in your wallet was cool. I think that we've gotten to a place where just everybody's open about their sexuality, but no one's really talking about the safety of it. The condom thing has... Died out. Died yeah. out. Uh, and it's yeah. crazy. It's not and really listen, I have a 16-year-old daughter, and it yeah. just baffles me the way that um, today the kids um, associate commitment around risky sexual behavior. So somebody, and I hate to use the term, like, uh, you know, I'm a, you know, going raw or shooting a club up. is like some sense of redeeming, like I'm willing to risk my life because I love you. Little yeah. Baby is an advocate for safe sex. Yes, obviously. Yes, he's he very, like, because yes, I listen to a lot of his music. Yes, he is. He's very, like, a lot of songs, he's, yes. like, very... He yes. hammers that part Hammers it Because he because he's not a, doing this Because he's in great sex But he's yes. like the only one He's the only one latex. Because he's in Atlanta <laughs> And Atlanta is like A third world country When it comes to HIV rates Atlanta is Horrible I mean, It's bad When it comes to HIV rates In the city of Atlanta So I'm sure That's part of the reason why um, But so our, we're, we're, we're charged with, with Healthy and being this new businesses To try to get That back again Right Try to make it cool to be safe, so I'm healthy you know, sex. Yeah, healthy I, sex. Yeah, I think there was just like growing up and then teaching health to right, teach, right. Like, and that, it was like, I, the, you just was, you were scared, <laughs> right? It was right. like there was fear. Like obviously, HIV and AIDS became something that was very common yes. when we were young. Yes. 
I mean, you seen the specials. Right. It was like Teen Summit Summit had a special. Yes. Yes. Magic. Yes. Oh, wow. This is something that we really need to make sure that but you see the protect fun- ourselves and I, I don't you don't I see feel that anymore. it's done because I think it's like after what happened to Magic in the 90s it was and then Easy e died it was a bunch of it was several different things that happened but the Magic thing really right and people were scared right yeah people aren't scared anymore no they're not scared no, no, they're not, they're scared, not scared and then there's a lot of funding too being pulled out of sexual health it's getting pulled out of schools see what happened to Planned Parenthood so the, a lot of resources are being pulled away from that so we feel as if it's our as our you know it's our mission to try to bring that back. Yeah, to me, like like little baby, right? He's an advocate for healthy sex, right? Let's do it together, right? Let's We're be advocates together. Yeah. We're providing the services. We're providing the education. Yeah, he will be a good right. spokesperson, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, sure. Magic, you know, I spoke to Magic ten years ago, right? We weren't um, ready though. Yeah, we weren't ready ten years ago, obviously. But we spoke to Magic ten years ago. Magic owned the largest HIV health plan health plan in the state of Florida. Mm. He owned it with a couple of guys down there. So we spoke to him about that. Um, I just think that there are, you know, Little Wayne, you know, Drake, you know, th- these people, people listen to them, mm. right? And if a quarter of all the STDs comes out of colleges and universities, that means that we have something there. Your favorite artist is the person that you're going to listen to. So if Little Baby is selling it like that, Taylor Swift is selling healthy sex, everybody's selling healthy sex, healthymd.com, that's something that we can use to push that forward and stop the spread. Yeah, so that's one of our initiatives that we we we, we talked about with, with, with Rico and what the Black Music Collective is doing, kind of like an HBCU tour where we, you know, do activation and bring some of these artists and we provide the free healthcare and the free... So that's actually... So you're doing something that's actually... I mean, in the grand scheme of things, that's actually hurtful for your business, right? It is. I mean, in, 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 um, in some aspects of it, not that it's hurtful, but as long as it's bringing the awareness and people are, you know, are, are protecting themselves because at the end of the day, I mean, people are still going to get sick. And and if you're going to be active, take the precautionary measures, right? So there is, you know, PrEP, which is the HIV prevention drug, which we still make revenue from. So if you're going to be active, at least be taking the PrEP. Yeah, if you're going to be, you're going to have unprotected sex anyway. Protect yourself. Protect, protect yourself. yourself. You know? So, so it sounds like it's hurtful to our business, but really and truly, we're putting more people on the prevention side yeah. than we are on the cure side. Right. And yeah, well, that's beneficial. And then it's a pill you take every day. Every yes. day. Yeah. What's the side effects? It's always side effects to everything. Though. It's always side effects to everything, but it just depends on body. I'm not a physician. Guys, yeah. don't get me to lying. Um, but a lot of our patients are on prep. And it, that's, that's heavy in the in the, hetero, in the um heterosexual community. Yes. Yeah. Both. Both communities. Yeah. We're we we have a huge LGBTQ population as well. Mm-hmm. Um but our heterosexual community, we are the ones that's been taking the charge of training our un- our underserved heterosexual community about PrEP. Because a lot of time before them, they, they would come to us and they would be like, that's a gay drug. I'm not taking that. Because the commercials. Because the commercials and yeah. everything, you know, the stigma behind it. Well, you're doing a good service. Thank and you. it's needed. And it's actually a very good business model also from the medical side and reimbursement so it's always good when you can do good and, and, and make a profit as well. absolutely absolutely so um definitely doing up, good by doing good yeah. keep up the great work thank you we thank will you. see you back at investfest this absolutely year. yes sir yeah. yes sir and we're sponsored we're gonna yeah, yeah, talk, talk about oh, that yeah. Man. We're, yeah. We're, we're gonna um sponsor um 
like some scholarships, like oh, for dope. healthcare businesses or something like that. Like we'll put something together yeah. and let's let, let's do something. Yeah, I'm tired, man. For the 20 some odd years we've been in this business, a lot of times we're in these spaces and Cliff and I are the only one. We're always the youngest and we're definitely always the only black people on the table, right? We used to be the youngest. Right? We used to be the youngest. <laughs> I'm still young, you old. But um, we definitely want to talk more and, and do some stuff with you guys as far as, you know, helping some young, you know, medical entrepreneurs getting to this space, man. We definitely need more of our faces. Um, in this space, nah, that'd yeah. be dope. That's it's important. Anything we could do, man. I, and I told you prior to this, man. Like things like this, having the platform and speaking about it, it's going to encourage more people to say, like, mm-hmm. "Oh, I love this business plan. Oh, I love this idea. I was thinking of something like it." It's encouraging because now I know somebody's done it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the, the fact that y'all y'all came here to share that, man, we appreciate y'all. Thank now you. we appreciate y'all having us. Thank you. Thank appreciate you. EYL, man. So what's the website, social media, and all that? So we got HealthyMD.com, which is our online platform, and we got IMGHealthClinic.com, which is our brick and mortar. And we got IMGHelps.org, which is our nonprofit, where you could go and donate, um, and we do some good stuff in the community there. There How many degrees between you both? So I got this degree of the hard knocks. That's it, son. Zero. <laughs> Zero, Zero degrees. degrees. I just want y'all to know y'all could do anything, man. You could do anything. 600 degrees. 600 degrees. That's a fact. Resources. That's a fact. Resources. Word. Troy, housekeeping items? Yeah, shout out to everybody on Patreon.com. Shout out to all the earners on EYL University. Shout out to our RPX people that have... Join that merger, man. It's been a beautiful start. And shout out to the merch, everybody on the merch team. And shout out to you. Right? We always remember saying this in the beginning of episodes. Yo, if we just get one new listener a day and, and look what it's turned into, man. So appreciate y'all sharing the word, word and appreciate y'all uh, sharing the knowledge that y'all have gained from it. So love is love. Thank love. you guys for rocking with us. We'll see you next week. Peace. Appreciate Peace. My graduates from my school being Forbes. Bag drop. Bag drop. <laughs> A mic drop. Bag drop. Bag drop. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with features and benefits like flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business, 24-7 support from a business card specialist trained to help with your business needs, and so much more. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.